All right, everybody, let's open up to John chapter 5, if we could. We'll be in verses 31 through 47 this morning. Father, we just come before your throne and we want to thank you for um, just your good hand upon us, your gracious pursuit of us, Lord, in the midst of our darkness and um, the joy that you've brought us, Lord, in your Son. And so, Lord, as we uh, delve into your word, I pray that our eyes would be open to him. I pray that our eyes would be open to um, your glory and your plan and your purposes, that we would be a part of them, that our lives would be wrapped up in you. And uh, as we focus on the Son, Lord, just uh, illuminate our souls. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, John chapter 5, just to give us uh, a little bit of a background, bringing us up to where we are. Uh, John has been laying the foundation that Jesus is God in the flesh. The Son of God, the Messiah, that is the Savior of the world. And up to this point, John has been showing in various uh, ways, through various people, uh, through various interactions with them, uh, demonstrating the, G- the deity of Jesus Christ through his miracles and through his teaching. It's been quite astounding. But John chapter 5 shifts away from uh, belief to unbelief. And that's kind of where the shift is that John has here. He's shifting from people believing. Uh, John has laid out in chapter 1 that Jesus is the living word and the light of the world and all these things. And then uh, chapter 2, you start to see the disciples believe. And then uh, chapter 3, he's having interactions with various people, explaining that he is the eternal life. And uh, whether they receive it or not, but most uh, believe they're interacting with him. You see that with the Samaritans. You see that with the Samaritan woman. And so, and so there's this light that has penetrated the darkness. And many people are believing but some aren't. And so chapter 5, it does this great shift. It shifts away from the disciples believing, from the Samaritans believing, and others, to a calloused unbelief by the religious leaders of the church. The Jewish leaders of, of, of the church, the Jewish leaders of Israel, were calloused towards their own Messiah that would actually end up in the execution of the one that they were waiting for at their own hands. And so verses 16 through 18 in John 5 give us the unbelief in a nutshell. It says in verse 16 of John 5, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working, and this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath according to them, but he was even calling his own uh, father, uh, calling God his father, making himself equal with God. And so because Jesus was not keeping the Sabbath, the way that these Jewish leaders had now interpreted in a man-centric way, uh, the Jews started to uh, persecute Jesus. And when they persecuted him, uh, Jesus uh, let them know that his father was God. And so he didn't back down when he got persecuted. He doubled down. It was pretty interesting. And for this, they sought to kill him. And instead of buckling to the persecution, even when he knew that it would lead to his execution, Jesus doubled down in verses 19 through 30, where we were last week. And Jesus, verse after verse after verse, 
declares to them that he and the Father are one. That they are unified. Everything you see Jesus doing is actually what the Father is doing. There's no distinguishing between the works of Jesus and the works of the Father. They're unified in their nature. They're one in nature, Jesus says. They're, they're one in their will and their purpose. They're one in the works that are happening. They're one in love. They're one in giving eternal life. They're one in raising the dead. They are one in executing judgment and in receiving honor. And so Jesus just keeps going down this, he doesn't back away when they start persecuting from being who he was. He lets them know even more of who he is. Isn't that crazy? Because he knows that their unbelief is actually going to end up in them killing him, which is what God designed this whole thing to be. He was willing to die. He wanted to die. Not in the sense of wanting to die, take this cup from me, we know that, but he wanted to fulfill the purpose of the Father. That was his heart. Because they were one. And Jesus sums it all up in verse 30. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own, but the will of him who sent me. Listen, the judgment is not, it, it, it's, it's the heart of God being executed through his son. We're one in that. In other words, Jesus was doing exactly what God was doing. And their rejection, when they rejected Jesus, wasn't simply just rejecting some man. They were rejecting God himself. Let me say to you this morning, if you reject the Son, you've rejected the Father. They are one. We preach Christ. We preach him crucified. We preach that all men must repent and believe to be saved. And we also preach that Jesus is the way and the truth and life and he is willing to forgive all men of all types of trespasses, the deepest, darkest, all of that. He is able and willing to have paid on the cross. I mean, that's why he was sent. There's only one way and it is through the Son. Their rejection of Jesus was a rejection of God. So was ours. And unlike the disciples and the Samaritans, they refused to believe, even though the evidence was insurmountable. Imagine living in Jesus' time and seeing a man walk up to someone who had been paralyzed for their whole life and saying, stand up and walk. And they stand up and they walk. People sh you know, with demon possession, he speaks to them. The, the demons shriek and they come out of him. And they're made whole again. Lepers, terminal disease. Jesus cleanses them. The deaf are, are hearing. The blind are seeing. This is happening before their eyes. It's not like hearsay. The whole nation is seeing this happen. And so Jesus testifies how he and his father are unified in everything. Jesus, and Jesus continues to give these religious leaders um, reasons why they should believe that he is the son of God. And by the way, John's purpose in communicating that story is so that we would believe that Jesus really did these things. He was really moving and acting on the earth and he was indeed the son of God. These aren't little stories. And he does this by bringing them into a courtroom. As he's, as he's, as he's 
face to face with their unbelief, he kind of brings them into the courtroom of sorts so that they can weigh the evidence of witnesses for themselves. That's the idea. He's saying, listen, I've told you all these things about who I am, but there are others who testify of who I am. And, and he kind of brings them into a courtroom. He's calling witnesses to the stand before them, and he's going to speak to them. And each of these witnesses testify to the fact that Jesus was sent from God, that he was indeed the Son of God, God in the flesh, the Savior of the world. And so Jesus says to him in verse 31, where we pick up today, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Okay, what in the world is he saying there? Now, Jesus is not saying you can't trust Jesus. That's not what he's saying. If you read that, you got it wrong. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, hey, I'm a liar. You can't trust me. No, he's appealing to these men who are the judges of Israel. They are the legal system within Israel. And he's appealing to them. And he's saying uh, that something would be very familiar uh, to them when it comes to um, determining whether something is true or not. If someone is saying something about someone or not, there's a way in which the law prescribes that you come to the truth about a matter. This is Deuteronomy 19.15, which is in the law. It lays out that precedent for the threshold of the number of witnesses needed in a courtroom to establish something as true, as proof. And so Jesus is saying, uh, you know, if I say something of myself, don't, don't just take my word for it, even though you should. But they understood in their system that Deuteronomy 19.15 says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with the, any offense that he has committed. If someone does something wrong and someone says something about someone else, it's not going to hold up in a court. What do you need to have? Corroboration of witnesses, right? You need to have more than one witness. Only the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. In other words, you can't just take one person's word for it. And being in a religious uh, system that they were, Jesus is appealing to them. He's appealing to their judicial mind as the judges of Israel. And he's going to give them evidence to give that legal precedent. And so Jesus would... Um, well, let me, let me give you an example real quickly. When Jesus was being accused, he will be here accused shortly, the Jews had to bring false witnesses against Christ. Remember they got people, and they couldn't even get their stories straight, the Gospels were saying. But they had to get false witnesses, two or more people that were saying the same thing about Jesus, so that they could go, yep, you know, he, he blasphemed against Israel. He said he was going to destroy the temple. These two guys said it, see, that's what happened. And they were getting witnesses in a courtroom. That was an actual legal proceeding there so that Jesus would e eventually be um, executed. And see, so Jesus, who had just said that God committed all judgment into his hands, that he's the judge, that he's the judge of the world, he's seeking to give them sufficient evidence, not because what he says of himself is false, but because he's desiring to do two things that would happen. First, that they avoid judgment themselves. I think that's very gracious. Jesus had just said, I want you to believe and to have eternal life. He'll say it again in just a minute. The reason why I'm telling you this stuff, you guys who don't believe, is because I want you to believe in who I am. 
I want the evidence to be so overwhelming to you that you have no choice but to believe that I am who I am so that you receive my life. How gracious is God? But on the other hand, the evidence would be so overwhelming that they would absolutely be condemned. That they would know within their own hearts that the reason why they don't believe is not because of the evidence isn't true, but it's because of the own hardness of their hearts. And so in verse 32, Jesus starts to point out these witnesses. Follow along with me. He says, There is another who bears witness about me, and I know the testimony that he bears witness about me is true. Verse 33, you sent to John, that's John the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so that what? You may be saved. It's not that I need John's testimony about me. I'm God. You need John's testimony about me. That's why I'm bringing this up to you. Pretty interesting, right? Back in chapter 1, it says of John, because we want to know, well, what is it that John testified of? What's the truth? Back in chapter 1, you can just flip back a chapter. You can look at, read it for yourself. Follow along with me. Verses 6 through 8. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a what? As a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might what? Believe through him. That's why John was sent, that we might believe, that all might believe. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And so John was a witness about the light, an idiom for God. In a verse, a few verses later, in verse 25, you skip down to verse 25 through 27, the religious leaders sent people to John the Baptist to find out what the deal was because people were flocking to him. He was the light, but he wasn't the light, right? John was a, we'll talk about that in a second, well, they thought that John might be the Messiah because there was such fantastic stuff going on with this guy. And they said, hey, are, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah the prophet? We've already explained what these things are. You can go back and listen to it. Are you the prophet to come? And John said, no, I'm not. In verse 25, they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not no. Even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Says there's someone here that if you guys think I'm awesome, you haven't seen anything yet. And he's here and you don't even know who he is. One greater than me. So he testifies of one who is the light and one who is who, is, who gives eternal life, basically, one who's greater than John. And again, a few verses later, 29 through 34, he says, and the next day he saw that Jesus coming, that is, John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, behold, the who? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. He was eternal because he was before me. Verse 31, I myself did not know him, but for the pur this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Wow. 
And John bore witness, and this is what he said, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descends and remains, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the what? The Son of God. John the Baptist is a witness that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, you sent John. And he bore witness of me. Not that the testimony I receive is from man. This isn't for my benefit. But this is for you, that you might know he has eternal life. You have eternal life. And so Jesus says, John's testimony, it's a man's testimony, but it's for you, that you might be saved. And here the judge of the world. Again, the context, Jesus has said, I'm the judge of the world. All judgment has been given to me. I'm going to judge you all. And what does he do as the judge? Because I want to give you evidence. I want to give you evidence right now. This is the day of grace. This is the day of mercy. This is the day of peace. Believe that I am the Son of God, that you may have eternal life. And be saved. Jesus goes on from the first witness. He goes to the second one. Well, he keep, actually keeps talking about John here for a second. Sorry about that. He says, he was a burning lamp and a shining lamp. He says, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Speaking of John the Baptist. Um, so this is a picture that John was like a, he was like a lamp. And it was a lamp in a dark place. And when you see a lamp in a dark place, what do your eyes do? You go to the light. Right? You go to the light. That's one of the interesting things about driving into Walla Walla at night and, and you can see the, the windmills spinning over there. Your eyes go, go over there. You're like, wow, that's fascinating. He just goes to it. John was like one of those, one of those deals. But there's, it's interesting. There's two words for light here. It says that John is the lamp, but the light that he was declaring is the essence of light, the blazing sun. Isn't that wild? John was the lamp, but Christ is the blazing sun. And it says they enjoyed his reflection for a little while. Like looking at the moon as opposed to the sun. But Jesus' point is that their enjoyment was superficial. He enjoyed it for a little bit. And that's what happens to some of us. We, we hear about the Lord. We hear about Jesus from someone. And we kind of get excited about that for a few minutes. But... It's superficial, and Jesus tells a parable about that, about different scenarios in which the word gets taken out of your heart, either through the enemy or through the cares of this world or through uh, persecution. The light would be established in our hearts. May God have that grace on us. But the one who illuminates dark souls, the Son of Man, John testified of. Verse 36, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And so the second witness isn't John the Baptist. First witness, John the Baptist. Second witness is what? The works that he was doing. Nicodemus, one of the high-ranked officials, he came to Jesus at night in John chapter 3, Nick at night, right? And he goes, hey, like we know you are from God because no one can do these signs unless God is with them. The religious leaders knew he was from God because they're looking at the things he's doing. They're going, there's no way 
this is just impossible. This does not happen. And Jesus said, the very works that I am doing, they bear witness about me that I am from the Father. They point to the fact that Jesus was from God. When Jesus was in Nazareth, remember that? He was at his hometown, his home synagogue. He's opening the scroll of Isaiah. This is in Luke 4, 18 through 21. And he reads. He starts reading to them. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me in church, okay, in synagogue. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All those good works, all those things that Isaiah prophesied a thousand years earlier, Jesus is reading them off. And then Jesus said in verse 20, and he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So as Jesus walks into church, he reads Isaiah, he just reads Isaiah to you guys and goes, yeah, I'm doing that. This has been done. Right now it's fulfilled. Yeah. <laughs> it was just going, what do we do with this? I think we know this is, uh, isn't this Joseph and Mary's boy, like from down the street? Yeah, right. Jesus flat out declared that he was fulfilling that prophecy right in front of them. That he was the one who was right before their eyes proclaiming the gospel, the good news. The, he was liberating captives, and he's speaking in spiritual terms here. Liberating the captives of the soul. Uh, recovery of sight to the spiritually blind. Freeing the oppressed. Implementing the year of the Lord's favor upon the dark kingdom. He busts in and just says, this is what I'm doing. I'm establishing the kingdom of God among the kingdom of men. Just fascinating. These are the works of God. When John the Baptist, remember that disturbing story of John the Baptist? who we just read about, who declared all these things about God. Well, he, he, does, some, he does some time in prison, right? And he's in prison, and the plan's not really kind of working out the way he thought it would. He's like, I wasn't thinking I would be going to prison. I'm going to die here really shortly. He's having a crisis of faith, so to speak, and he sends one of his messengers back to Jesus and says, hey, are you the one or are we looking for another? Because I'm in prison. <laughs> Right? I would too, you know, kind of like, what's going on? And Jesus responds to him back in Matthew eleven four through 6. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf are healed. Right? Well, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What do you see, John? What's going on? The works themselves. Look what's going on. Declare that Jesus is God. These things really happened, church, in real earth time space 2,000 years ago, and it revolutionized the world. Jesus didn't say, John, you know, uh, well, maybe I'm him. He said, look at what's going on. Who do you think I am? Don't lose heart because of your circumstances. Jesus did all those works. And so he points to the religious leaders and their unbelief. And he says, hey, look at the evidence that around you. 
John the Baptist bore witness, but look what I'm doing. And in verse 37, he says he has another witness, God himself. And in verse 37, it says, And the Father who sent me has witness, borne witness about me. You can see Jesus building the case here, right? He's saying, hey, I want you to believe. Look at what John the Baptist, you guys thought he was awesome looking. Look at, look at, now look at all the words. Look at everything uh, works. Look at, look at what's happening. And then he says, now, here's the, here's the witness that really kind of counts. The Father has sent me as born witness, the third witness. But Jesus said they're blind. They were blind to the third witness. They got a problem. Jesus said, this third witness, God himself, the Father, has borne a witness to me. Well, when did, when did the Father bear witness of the Son? You, you, know this, you know this, right? You know, back in Matthew, he records the Father witness of Jesus at his baptism. Matthew, Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, other Gospels as well. It said, And when, he, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the waters, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Father testifies of the Son. He declared his love for the Son. And this also happened at Jesus' transfiguration. Remember, uh, Peter, James, and John are up on the mountain with Jesus, and Jesus is transformed into this glorious form. His whiteness has just blown him away. With just like, he's like, man, no one can make laundry like that. He's just like, I don't know what's going on. They were just blown away. So much so that Peter starts to go, this is awesome. I know I'm going to put my foot in my mouth, but let's do it anyways. And he starts talking. He says, let's go ahead and build three tabernacles for these guys. One for Elijah, one for Moses, and one for Jesus. Because these two guys, Moses and Elijah, were there too. They were talking with Jesus about what was about to happen. Jesus was going to the cross. They're all talking. That's a pretty interesting conversation. And Peter's going, wow, these are the three or the two heroes of the faith, and, and Jesus, let's, let's do something awesome. Let's build them a tabernacle. I don't understand that, but they're going to do that. They're going to build them a little party tent. What's going on? And, and what happens? The Lord intervenes. He cuts Peter off. He's done with that. And it says there, as he was saying these things, this is in verses uh, 34 through 36, he says, he was saying these things. A cloud came, overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud, which we know is the Shekinah glory of God, the very presence of God he has to, because no flesh shall survive in his presence, he has to shroud himself. Beautiful. And the voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Woo. Just put Jesus above the law and the prophets. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. No kidding. And so the Father is a witness of the Son, greater than the law, greater than the prophets. The, the, the Father himself testified. But there's a problem. There's a problem with this testimony, you guys. What's the problem? problem is verse 37. His voice you have never heard, and his form you have never seen. 
And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. If you don't believe me, you're not going to believe him. I'm God in the flesh. He and I are the same. I am the exact representation of the Father that you can see. And if you don't believe me, you're not believing him. You have not seen him, nor will you. You can't hear his voice. He indicted them for being deaf and blind to God. Isn't that wild? Jesus calls them blind guides in Matthew 15. The very people who are supposed to be the ones who hear from God and recognize Him, they're totally deaf to Him, blind to Him. They refuse to listen to Jesus, the Word made flesh, the Son of God. Therefore, they don't have life in them. They were religious men who were spiritually dead, leading people into darkness. And Jesus says, not only are you rejecting my Father's witness, you reject his witness. You also reject the fourth witness, verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. <laughs> and it is they that bear witness about me. Verse 40, he says, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have what? Eternal life. Jesus keeps pleading with these guys. He wants them to have eternal life, right? He says, all these witnesses and you're not going to do it. You're not coming to me. You have a hard heart. The fourth witness they reject was the witness of the word of God. They thought that the source of eternal life was the Bible. Now, do not take this verse to say, yeah, I don't need to study my Bible. That is not the application of this. All the Bible study in the world will do a person no good if they don't know that the words come from a person. It is the Word of God. And the Word of God points us to whom? The Son of God. That's what Jesus says. The whole book points to me. And he's referring to the Old Testament here. He's saying, the law and the prophets, they all speak of me. You don't understand the Old Testament? I think that is a key hermeneutic, a key way to understand the Old Testament. It's pointing to Jesus Christ. It's fascinating. The book of Hebrews unravels so much of it, which is in the New Testament. But the Word of God points us to the Son of God, to Jesus Christ. And the Pharisees study the Scriptures vigorously, and we all should. The Scriptures are awesome. And it's a great thing to study Scriptures, but they missed it. They missed of what the scriptures were about, who it was pointing to. It was pointing to Jesus, right? They were so hard-hearted and blind and deaf, they couldn't see that the law of Moses was pointing to Jesus, and they couldn't see that all the prophecies that were fulfilled right in front of their eyes were concerning Jesus. Jesus, who was standing right in front of them. And so re Jesus reiterates this after his resurrection. Remember on the road to Emmaus, Jesus had just got arrest, uh, resurrected that day. And what happened? He's on the road to Emmaus with two disciples. He's talking to them, and they're totally bummed out that Jesus had died. They can't recognize him. They don't, they don't know that that's him. And he's talking with them, walking with them. And, and what happens there in Luke 24, 25, he talks to them. Uh, he says, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. I think right then, they should have recognized it was Jesus because he just, I mean, how many times did he say to his disciples, oh, you have little faith, oh, foolish ones. You know, 
You guys, you are the ones who should know this stuff, right? It says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Didn't you read the Bible? Oh, you did. But you didn't know who it was talking about, did you? And that was his point. And what is this awesome thing? Verse 27, the Bible study that if I had a time machine, the one place I'd probably go back to right here, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. As they're walking along the road, he goes, okay, Genesis. This is where I am in Genesis. In the beginning was the word. That's me. <laughs> you know, wait a second here. No, and God said, let there be a light. All things were made through him and by him and for him. He's in the beginning. And why were things created? They were made for him and by him. He's the creator in the beginning with the Father. And, he, and he, no doubt he's just going through just a cursory uh, Bible study with them, just declaring throughout the law and the prophets all that testify of him. So the scriptures, the witness of Jesus, and Jesus says back to these Pharisees back in John 5, 39, he says, they studied the scriptures, says, you search them because you think that in them they have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, the eternal life. You refuse to come to me that you may have life. And that's his point. The scriptures point to me and I am life. Eternal life is a person. It's Jesus. Amen? Church will not save you. Going to church will not save you. I know it's like this is the anti-church message. Tithing will not save you. Doing good works will not save you. Hopefully, you know, as the Spirit, you're around other believers, you're pointed to a person that is declared through His Word. And as you come to the person, you are born again. He gives you life. And when He gives you life, guess what that life consists of? His kingdom. Guess who's in his kingdom? Church people. You hang around your brothers and sisters. You devote yourself to the kingdom of God. You devote yourself to his purposes. You worship, you pray, you give, you proclaim, you evangelize, you live your life for Jesus, amen? It's because of the person. Because the life he's placed within you, his life, because that's how he does life. If his seed is within you and you are of his kingdom and you are who he is, guess how your life is going to reflect that? I draw this picture on a whiteboard often, two trees, right? The type of fruit is produced shows what kind of tree it is. You search the scriptures so you think you have life. No, it's not the scriptures in themselves that have life. It is the ones they declare. It is him. It is Jesus. Now, I'm not dismissing the scriptures obviously they are it's, he puts, puts them up, his word is above his name amen obviously I, I, I don't do that right <laughs> so convinced of it this is what we do but they rejected the witness of John the Baptist they rejected the miraculous works they rejected the father they couldn't even hear him and they rejected the witness of scripture they love darkness rather than light and Jesus exposes their hearts and the vast difference now in verse 41. He says, well, if you reject all that stuff, what's going on there? And Jesus says, verse 41, he says, I don't, I don't receive glory from people. 
Now, obviously, he receives glory from people, but he's saying, not like you guys. I don't receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Jesus didn't receive glory from people. That wasn't his main aim. I'm here to get glory from you. Do you think that's why Jesus was on the earth, to get glory from you, from me? Who's, who is he all concerned about? That's whose glory he was concerned with. The glory that they shared before all eternity that he lets us in on. Wow. By adoption, by, by new birth, birth into his family. We share in his glory now. That's amazing. He said, I, you know, but guess what? Jesus knew their hearts, that the love of God was not in them. This was an indictment of them from, from Jesus in Matthew's gospel as well. In Matthew 15, 8 through 9, quoting Isaiah, Jesus said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. It was all external. And I know we all struggle with this, but that was the core of who they were. Verse 43, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. But if another comes in his own name, man, you're going to receive him. Jesus came representing God, and they rejected him. In Matthew 21, Jesus tells a parable of the owner of a vineyard. Remember that? There was an owner of a vineyard, and uh, he went away for a long time, and he, was, he you know, sent an email back and said, hey, you know, oh, I need to get, come get my stuff. You know, I want to have some fruit from it, and there needs to be payment from this thing that I own. And what happened? He sent a servant. They killed, you know, they, they beat one servant. They stoned another. But he kept sending servants. He says, finally, I'm going to send my son. Surely you guys will accept the son, the owner of the vineyard. And so they sent his son. What did they do? They killed him. And that was what Jesus was pointing out here. If you don't receive me. I'm coming in my father's name. This is my vineyard. But if someone else comes in their name, you'll receive them. They would receive false prophets and false messiahs that they would reject the Son of God, verse 44. By the way, they re they'd receive Barabbas. Right? They would say, hey, give us a murderer. We'll take a murderer, but don't give us Jesus. Verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from whom? From one another. And do not seek glory that comes from the only God. And, and this was the crux of the matter. They wanted glory from themselves. That was what their heart was, these religious leaders. They loved the praise of people instead of from God. They were seeking after people's glory. And that's why they killed Christ, because he was getting what they wanted. If they believed and truly sought God, they would seek glory from God, right? They would believe. But they loved the praises of men. This is a very dangerous place to be, you know? Receiving the praises of men rather than the glory of God. Because that will determine what you do and why you do and how you do it. If you're living to please Pastor Matt, look out, man. Or, you know, person to the left of you, right of you, above, the, above God. Sorry, one of the air conditioning gave out. Um, and so, you know, if we are looking to... Um, if we're looking to get praise and glory, I mean, just think of, King, think of King Saul, right? King Saul 
was not a man after God's heart. He was more concerned about what the people thought. And when God told him to do something, what did he do? He didn't do what God said. He spared people he shouldn't have spared. And God ripped the kingdom from him. It was the downfall. It was the demise of his whole kingdom because he sought what people cared about more than honoring God. Jesus says, that's what you are, uh, leaders of Israel. And boy, that's a, that's, do you guys care more about what your boss thinks rather than, rather, than what, um, rather than what God thinks? Do you care more about what your family thinks rather than what God thinks? Do you, think, do you care more about family members or, or protocol or government or you know, social you know, norms and all this stuff rather than what God would have you to be doing? I'm telling you, we look at them and we go, you know, oh yeah, they're the villains. I go, no, I'm the villain. Like, I care about those things. I don't want to be unliked. Who wants to be unliked? I mean, you, you like, when people unlike you on Facebook, what do you do with that? The world unravels before you. I want God to go, I like that. Because we're concerned about His will. Amen? So important. We're almost to the end here. Jesus gave them those four witnesses. And now Jesus is warning them of a coming judgment against them for their unbelief. Verse 45 says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. What? He's saying, I'm not going to accuse you to the Father. Well, then who is? There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Oh, no. Now, if you're trying to seek the, the glory and the honor of the most powerful men in the Israel, this is not how you do it. You don't tell them that the one that they esteem and honor is going to be their judge against them. You see, Jesus is like, I don't, I'm not like you. I'm not worried about your, your good pleasure in me. I'm worried about my father's good pleasure. And I want you to know the one that you think is that you are following is going to be your judge against you. That's crazy. That's just wild. Jesus did not receive glory from men, but from God. And Jesus said, Moses would condemn you on the day of judgment. Because you claim to keep the law of Moses. And here's the problem. Verse 46. For if you believed in Moses, you would believe what? In me. Why? Because he wrote of me. Man, that's crazy. The, the, mo the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, all the, all the laws that are all stuck in all those books, right, that we all kind of gloss over. There's richness in them. Why? Because they all testify of Jesus. Jesus, after bringing these witnesses, well, he says in verse 37, but if, but if you do not believe the, his writings, how are you going to believe my words? Jesus, after bringing those witnesses that testify, he said, he sent from God, he sent one more witness, Moses. And Jesus said, if you don't believe Moses, you are not going to believe me. Jesus warned them in Matthew 23 about these scribes who followed the law of Moses. 23.1, he says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. That is, they are the judges of Israel. In verse 3, he says, So do and observe what they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. If you really knew me, if you really knew Mo what Moses was writing about he said you would believe in me you're all letter no heart 
Moses will accuse you on that day. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 22 say, this is Paul writing, he says, But now there's a righteousness of God that has been manifested apart from the law of Moses. I'm adding in Moses. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Bear witness to what? The righteousness apart from the law. Well, what is that righteousness? The righteousness of God through what? Faith in Jesus Christ. For all who what? Believe. So Jesus brought all these witnesses before them and said, and you aren't going to believe. And, and I kind of painstakingly went through all of these right now because it's, it's kind of in depth. He's going to build up to a situation where now disciples are going to start to leave him. Disciples are going to be like, no, nah, this, is, this is too heavy. I'm not following you anymore. Because Jesus is going to say, unless you eat of my flesh and drink my blood, you could have no part with me. They're going to be like, yeah, I'm out of here. Because they don't understand. He's talking about things in the Spirit. He's saying, listen, I'm God. And unless you have your life in me, you're not going to have life. And he uses all these different pictures in, in all these different ways so that you and I would, would know with certainty that God came to earth. He did things among us that none of us would ever imagine. He raised people from the dead. He gave them eternal life. These aren't stories. These are verified facts. He himself was raised from the dead. Do you believe? Over and over and over. And if not, why not? And let me tell you, it's the hardness of your own heart because the evidence is there. But even in the hardness of our heart, this is the cool thing about the Lord, is he's still coming and saying, eternal life. It's yours. Right to the moment of your dying breath. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. And when you do, when his life becomes your life, it's totally different. There's a change. When you believe that Jesus died for you, the Son of God came and died for all your wickedness, there's a rebirth. You're, you're brand new. You're translated from one kingdom to the other. When you believe who he is, that's what he said. Jesus said, you must believe. When that belief takes, takes hold, when God's work is accomplished in your heart by believing upon the Son, your life is never the same. You're changed. And the tree, its roots are different. And, and the fruit starts to change and you're convicted about the old life and all that type of stuff, and you start to become more and more like the son of God that you have been born to be now, the daughter of God that you now are. Amen? And that's why you must feed upon, as was said earlier, but you must feed upon him for life. It doesn't stop. He gave you life, and where do you continue to live in him? How do you continue to live in Him? You continue to feed on Him. When you don't, uh. and so as we kind of as we close here, I just uh, want to encourage you that the faith you have in God is not misplaced. 
The faith you have in Jesus is not a fairy tale. Believe it and stand on it. Proclaim it. Go to the generation that's coming up and, 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 and say, no, that is not what I believe. I don't believe you're hocus pocus. I believe in Jesus Christ. And this is why. This is who he is. This is who he came to be, he declared to be. And, and, and don't fear men. Fear God. Honor him by believing in his son. Not only believing, but declaring and following after him this week. Amen? And let his good grace be upon you. Lord, we love you, and we want to love you in word and deed. And so, Father, um, thank you so much for manifesting yourself here in your word. Um, I know this is kind of a, a kind of a courtroom dry situation in some ways, Lord, but I, we ask that as we, as we uh, contemplate and as we look into who you are and how you describe yourself, Lord Jesus, that we would learn um, and that we would change and we would believe more and more, be more rooted in our faith, and that that faith would be manifested in love and good works just as you displayed for us to follow in. So, Lord, bless the church this week. Um, a lot of us guys are tired, and uh, we just ask that we would be uh, fueled up, Lord, um, for this coming week. Loving you, Lord, loving our families, loving um, those around us that you've placed. Um, bless us, Lord, as we go, as we bless your name. In the name of Jesus, amen.